You're listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, brought to you by Axis DX. This is a show for the lab professionals and medical directors who bring forward novel diagnostic tests to advance modern medicine. Let's dive into the conversation. Hey, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Was looking forward to us speaking with you. I'm really happy to be here and always fun to have a conversation with you. So thanks. Great. So let's just jump right into it. And, you know, we love talking about personalized medicine. So let's just get your opinion. I'd love for you to tell us, honestly, your personal opinion about personalized medicine. Broadly, I, I think personalized medicine is the way we tailor medical care to the individual characteristics of each individual patient. In diagnostics, we often narrow that definition and get more specificity to define it as the practice of medicine that uses an individual's genomic profile, right, to guide decision-making. Personally, I like the more broad definition and more broad view, and in the sense that all healthcare is personalized, and genomics actually happens to be one very clear approach to make healthcare highly personalized. But I, I like that broad application of, of the term. That's great. And then you have a unique opportunity to speak from various vantage points, if you will, from just your professional career. So I've often asked people like, well, from like a payer's perspective, what do you think they're thinking of personalized medicine? So kind of put on your experience from that standpoint and is it the same? Is it different? What is it? From the payer perspective, I think they probably define personalized medicine similarly. The excitement around personalized medicine may be a bit more tame than it is, say, in the diagnostics world, <laughs> because I think they're shouldered with a whole host of issues on how to implement and make personalized medicine sustainable. So while the rest of the world is excited and we're rapidly innovating and we're growing and things are becoming more expensive and things are becoming more confusing, the payers are at odds with that in a way, even if they're excited too, because they've got to put the brakes on. They've got to do some utilization management. They've got to figure out how to make real decisions because there's more than just one-to-one personalized therapies for oncology or cardiology or anything else that they have to pay for. And so I think there's a lot of trepidation on on the payer side. You articulate that well because they just can't look at it almost myopically like, oh, yes, wouldn't this be great, right? They have to look at it from all aspects of it. And sometimes what industry may see that as kind of like, oh, you're kind of like dampening it down. My personal opinion, I don't think they're trying to thwart it. I just think they're trying to manage it. Yeah. And if those who are developing diagnostics are not thinking about how to help the healthcare industry manage what they're ushering in, which is a totally new paradigm with unforeseen growth, right? If if we're not helping, then it's going to take even longer for the health plans to catch up. Health plans have to innovate on their own work, figure out how to do things in their world faster and easier, but they also need 
the companies who are out there innovating to say, here's the value we think is important to you. Here's how we think you can capture that value. Here's where we think we can extract dollars from what you're paying today. We do have to show them more than I think we've been showing in recent time. That's great. And so you really do feel it's industry's opportunity to take on that and to illustrate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Goodyear makes a new tire, it's their job to show auto manufacturers, to show consumers why they should purchase the new tire. As the auto manufacturer, I'm not out there shopping all the new tires, deciding like, oh, I think I'll switch. You know, oh, this one's more expensive. Maybe I'll buy that one. No, Goodyear's out there saying, hey, look, we made this new tire. We understand that it's more expensive than the tire you purchased from us last year. But here's why you should use it, right? There's increased safety. You're going to have fewer crashes if you have a crash. Like, and so that's the kind of stuff that I think we need to do better as a diagnostics industry around the value of, of the testing that we put out in the marketplace. Yeah, because the good old days, if you will, of coming out with a test from a laboratory uh, standpoint of like, oh, here, we validated it. Physicians want to order it. They'll order it. And God forbid, if a physician orders it, then I'm just going to do it and not ask any questions about it. What you're saying is, hey, you know what? As diagnostic innovators, let's take a look at our role in the adoption, if you will, the yeah. and encourage the various folks of seeing it. Because if there's no value, then there's no value. Yes. And I, I mean, I think that there are plenty of diagnostic tests and, and other medical procedures that have been you know, attempted to be put in, out into the market that we would now say they didn't hold the value we thought they, they held. And I think that there is so much innovation happening in so many corners of the world that we have to be very cautious about what we are paying for. You know, we often forget that the pool of money that health insurers have to take care of us is actually a finite resource, like it feels infinite in our minds. But, you know, one of the things that COVID certainly taught us is that when you have, you know, a global pandemic, you're putting out amounts of dollars that you don't usually you know, on on a day-to-day. And that puts things at risk. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Other than clearly articulating the value, you'll find this interesting is that a group of medical directors that we work with, when I ask them, hey, put together a roadmap or a blueprint for diagnostic innovators that when they come to you, um, here are the things that you want to see. And the very first question that they put out there was, well, they need to answer clearly articulate what the uh, clinical unmet need is. And they said, because their challenge was like, you'd be surprised companies aren't able to do that. Or if they are, we kind of shrug our shoulders saying, well, that's not an unmet need for, for us, you know, and for people in general, just because you can do something doesn't mean I need to pay for it. Right. A made up need does not equate to an unmet need. I'm stealing that one. That's good. <laughs> That's the title of this podcast, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, right. Well, you said it. You said it first, sort of just because you can do it doesn't mean anybody actually wants you to do it or needs you to do it. And I think that 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 certainly is a big piece of where I think industry and health plans 
and members, by the way, can come together in partnership to start being more clear about what they need. You take it out of the diagnostics world, but you still talk about personalized medicine and you think about this function that a lot of health plans have around complex care management. And if you ask people who get phone calls from the complex care managers, they often get those calls six months after they finish the, the complex care, right? But if you then you think about adding in these data companies who are actually, you know, using AI and machine learning to go through and identify things within, within health system data and claims data and all this kind of stuff, you can start thinking about how do you really create a personalized care plan for somebody that meets the member where they are, addresses the utilization management concerns of the payer, and leverages this new personalized medicine paradigm because we're, we're grabbing all the data and we're using that to, to make the best decisions. And so I think that there are lots of opportunities that today probably get missed because Real partnership between stakeholders doesn't really occur in the payer space as much as it should. Yeah. And I think that's been very challenging, right? Because you throw in members or all of us, right? And how could we or should we engage directly with the member, with the patient, if you will? And yeah. when is it appropriate? When is it not, I guess? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's I think it's an interesting question, right? Like health plans care a lot about how their members rate them, right? Because it affects, you know, if I start complaining to my company about how bad my health insurance company is, when it comes to October, if they've got enough of me complaining, they're negotiating a different deal, right? So like we just saw it in the news yesterday, United Healthcare profits up 13% or something like this on new members. Member retention for a health plan matters a lot. So when we think about customer satisfaction in healthcare, the health plan sector is a huge part of that. When do we engage with members? I don't know. But, but I think that conversations around innovation, it's important. We should believe that people care and can articulate what matters to them in healthcare, right? I think we often negate the willingness and ability of an individual patient or groups of patients to be highly articulate about what they want and need. And, and I think we, we overlook that too often, and I think we certainly overlook it in the health plan space. There are probably lots of things that health plans do for members that they think are important that members actually might not care much about at all. There are trade-offs if you start having those conversations. This is Perry Demas. I wanted to invite you to come and attend the next diagnostic conference, which will take place September 28th and 29th in beautiful Manhattan Beach, California. Additional details of the conference can be gained at dxconference.com, and you'll see the link below. But we're going to have payer contacts in attendance in which we're going to hear from the major health plans in the laboratory benefit management conference companies of how to work with them more effectively to make sure that your novel diagnostic test is being covered from the health plans. 
So we look forward to having you attend the conference. If you have any questions or anything, please go to the conference website at dxconference.com and go ahead and submit your inquiry. Thanks, and we'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. And you would think that we're in a perfect time and place and with personalized medicine that it, quote, plays well with members, with all of us, right? It's almost like a bipartisan. No one in Washington, D.C. is going to say, I'm anti-personalized medicine. Same thing with all of us. I mean, our friends and family, when you talk about personalized medicine, they're like, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. why aren't we doing that? So how can we do that together, I guess, is what you're challenging us with. They're like, well, where, where can we start, not only with a member, but with a payer, so that we're doing it together rather than feeling like it's a fight all the time? Yeah. I mean, and I, I think just looking in the diagnostic space, for that to be successful or expand it, look at personalized medicine. For, for personalized medicine to be successful, meaning we've switched the paradigm from this empiric paradigm, which we mostly still live in today, which is that physicians make decisions based on their experience, right? I treated this patient yesterday or two years ago, I treated this patient. I think they were similar to you, right? That's the way medicine works, mostly still today. If we really are going to shift a paradigm where we are being highly efficient in a personalized medicine approach, that requires partnerships that are really in their infancy today, like around interoperability of data. Even though we're, we're miles and miles and miles ahead on we can develop any diagnostic test we want, we can build any algorithm to find any patient, like we can like do these things. You actually can't make them work if you don't have a system that allows for, let's say, a member who has United Healthcare today and they get their genome sequenced. Well, Aetna shouldn't pay to get their genome sequenced again five years from now because they're no longer on United, but they're on Aetna. And as the member, I should be able to take my genome and give it to my new health insurance company. But none of that exists, right? Like we, we have some of those tools. We, we've had some of those thoughts, you know, put the genome on, on a blockchain, like all this kind of stuff. But we're not, we're not there yet. And so maybe back to, to your original question around, like, how are payers thinking about this? They're like in the Grand Canyon, you know, <laughs> like we we don't know what to do because there's so much that's coming at us and it requires a massive paradigm shift. Yeah, uh, that's good. You know, why? because you said something earlier, I mean, payers are still struggling with, hey, you know what, Perry, I wish I would have found out that my member was actually diagnosed with diabetes. And I didn't find out till six months later. Right. And because we have all these services already in place for our members that are diabetic. And quite frankly, we didn't know about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do that type of stuff. Yeah. Right. And you're sitting there talking about genome on the web. You know, the, the fact is, if you fax me the request, 
<laughs> maybe I'll get back to you. Yeah, right. And and guess what? Like, we don't. That's why I said I really like this broader definition of personalized medicine because, you know, that's a pretty personal touch, right? And there are companies that develop these care gap algorithms and. You know, you apply that over the data at a health plan, the data over at, at a health system, and all of a sudden, you are identifying the people that were just diagnosed with diabetes or anything else today. And now, we have standard operating procedures of how you're supposed to now proceed. We can help do that, right? Checklists are the, are, are the medical community's friend, automating that, making sure it's there, putting in utilizing the new language model tools to ensure that you're like pulling in the next greatest bit of evidence. We have all of these tools, but to your point, sometimes we have to actually step backwards and slow ourselves down to start to see where some of the operational gaps are on the health plan side and the healthcare infrastructure side to create sort of sustainable platforms and sustainable payment models and sustainable solutions in that world to allow, you know, all of these personalized tools that will be developed to to plug in. You know, everybody's walking around with Apple Watches and Fitbits and, you know, Zio patches and, and the what, like, you know, we've got wearables everywhere. Where's the data going? What are we really doing with it? When Apple's monitoring my my heart attack, is it going to my doctor? No. Should it be? I don't know. There's all of this that's happening around us. And I think it's there's a lot of excitement. I think for health plans, there's a lot of fear. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you're doing a lot of great work in, in the forefront of partnering with payers in general, especially from a data standpoint, right? Because, I mean, the reality is the data is there. Well, it might be in their EMR or EHR, and it's probably stuck right. in a PDF that no one knows exists, yeah. which is not very useful. But when we're talking about personalized medicine and diagnostics, we are striving to give good, reliable, real-time data that is hopefully going to help the physician manage yes. that patient in a better way. That's what we're trying to do. So that's what you're talking about is it's very complicated, though, to make sure that the right data is getting out there. Yeah. Complicated to make sure the right data is getting out there, getting where it needs to be at the right time, getting there in the format, to your point, PDF or electronic or otherwise, right? In the format that it needs so that it can be consumed at the point of care. And not that many in the industry are really willing to then also take that information and share it with the health insurer. But by doing that, you can create an actual really supportive opportunity for, say, a peer-to-peer -peer that may happen or maybe a peer-to-peer -peer that now doesn't even have to happen if everybody's operating from the same information, right? And so it's like there are these adversarial relationships that, that get created in, in healthcare industry against the payers and the providers or but at the end of the day we're we're all actually hoping for the same thing which is that the innovations that we're putting out into the marketplace actually make patients better and in order to make people's health outcomes better 
we have to figure out how to use all of these things most efficiently and in the best use case. That's great. And as we continue to figure all of this out, give us a grade as an industry standpoint, A to F. How are we doing? I think I'd give us a C in that I think in some ways we're getting an A. Like innovation in industry, we're getting an A. Industry's ability to actually help communicate value propositions and help drive new ways. Think about it. Like we're developing all of these diagnostic tests for all of these drugs that are getting developed. And increasingly what we're talking about are smaller and smaller patient pools who are going to be eligible for any of the drugs that are put on the market. I mean, that is the promise of personalized medicine. And we do not have a process that allows us to identify, develop, test, and launch personalized drugs. We don't have a system for that. Our system now you take the things that are the rarest out there, right? Gene therapies and these, I mean, they're in the millions of dollars. Now, I'm not making a judgment on that, whether it's right or wrong, but that's not sustainable when we start talking about the volume of things that get to that level of specificity in terms of therapeutic. And so I think we get an F there. I, I mean, I, I think we're operating on ends of the spectrum. And I think that is, is part of that reason is just because there's the lack of partnership that we've been talking about. And so people are maximizing what they want to maximize for their own industry sector. But the problem with that is it all does crumble at some point. You can't, that's not sustainable. Yeah, that's good because probably an overused word that, you know, is partnership. Yet that's really what we need is true collaboration amongst the individuals and the groups in order for us to raise up some of those F grades to C yeah. or at least, you know, or maybe higher yeah. so that we get better grade overall. That's good. Well, this has been great. Really appreciate it. Um, continue doing the good work that you are and uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you in conferences like I normally do and other places. So thank you so much. Perry, thank you. You've been listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, produced by Amplify Podcasts and original music by Jake Demas. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you with a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.